As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, y'all are stuck with me for the next few weeks on Wednesday night. Amen. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun. You know, in talking with Pastor uh, about just the, the Sunday series and the Wednesday series, we were talking about the season that we're in as a church. And we're in a brand new season. We didn't see it coming. We didn't ask for it, but it's here. And God has sovereignly allowed us to be in this season. But it's not a season for defeat. And it's not a season for doubt or fear or any of that stuff. Now, if this season brings those things to the surface, okay, it's sort of like a spiritual x-ray. And the Lord's saying, hey, this is in you. I want to get it out. That's what that's for. It's not to condemn you. So if you do feel doubt or feel fear, and those are some of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. As I thought about this series, you know, I knew this is a season of spiritual warfare. Pastor is obviously going to be doing the, the series coming up here uh, called The Battlefield. So I'm going to be doing a complimentary series called Armor for the Battle. We're all familiar with the the armor in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to look at some of that. We're going to look at it in a different perspective. And one of the things that I want us to realize is we have everything we need for victory in Jesus. We have everything we need. God is not holding out on us. He's not holding back. And I think a lot of times we think that man, if I just had this, or if I just had that, or if I had what Pastor Jeff has, or if I had what this pastor or this person, whatever. But we already have it. It's already in us. Everything we need for victory has been given to us through the gospel if we're in Jesus. It's a done deal. The problem isn't that we don't have it. The problem is we don't realize we have it, and we don't know how to use it. We don't know how to apply that to our lives. So that's some of the things we're going to look at over these next few weeks with armor for the battle, because we already have it. And of course, the armor is listed out in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you, if you have your Bible with you tonight, go ahead and go to turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's, whenever you talk about spiritual warfare, the, this is the or one of the number one sections of the Bible you go to. And we're all f- generally familiar with these passages. It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. So I'm, I'm going to read this. It's from the New King James Version. You can read along with me. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." right there, man. It's everything we need. Let's pray. 
Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you have equipped us through Jesus for the battles we find ourselves in. And Lord, as we move into this new season here at Turning Point Church, Lord, Father, we thank you that you have already given us victory. And Lord, we we look forward to this season of learning how to fight according to your ways and with your weapons in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now to illustrate this whole point, I don't know if he's in here yet or not. There he is right there. Come on down, Chris. This is Chris Fernihow. He's, he's a detective with the Fort Worth Police Department. Y'all appreciate what the police officers do here? Yeah. <laughs> Come on up, mister. Didn't expect to be on stage, Eugene. It was awesome. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to use the police officer's uniform sort of an, as an illustration of the weapons or the tools or whatever words you want to use that God has given us. Now, if you look at just his uniform here, he's got the, the standard belt. You know, it's the bat belt. It's got all the stuff on it. Of course, we have the gun, which everybody notices right away. He's got his, uh, his magazines to reload, just in case, you know, just one isn't enough. <laughs> the taser. Man, you, if you've never had a ride on a taser, man, it's better than Six Flags, I'm telling you. And cheaper. And cheaper, that's right. Uh, he's got his radio, and then on the back side, go and flip around there, Chris. He's got his ass baton, handcuffs, and it's a spot for his flashlight. So pretty standard uh, setup for the weapons that he has on his belt, or the tools. Now, here's the thing about these weapons. Chris is very specifically trained how to use these weapons. And these are police-only weapons. Now, you can go out and get a gun somewhere, but you're not going to be able to get the type and the, the capacity-type guns that an officer can get. Same thing with a taser. You're not going to be able to get this type of taser. There are civilian tasers out there, but you're not going to get this one because police officers are specifically trained. They spend 30-plus weeks in an academy learning how to use these tools because if you don't know how to use these tools, you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else the wrong way. So he has been very specifically trained in how to use these. So when a situation arises, he knows which tool to use and how to use it to, as we used to say, uh, one of my sergeants when I was in patrol used to say at the end of roll call, okay, now go uh, fight crime and suppress evil. And that's what we would do, fight crime and suppress evil. And that's what the tools are there for. Now, when you look at an officer and the tools that are on, on their belt and, and the tools and the weapons that they have, if I were to ask you what is the most important tool or weapon that he has, most people would say the gun because it has power. And there's a, so much power behind that gun. And, you know, everybody, you know, it's just, there's just this mentality. If I've got a gun, I've got power. But actually... The most important weapon he has is not the gun, it's the badge. It's, or sometimes it's called a shield, because this is what gives him authority. And without authority, he can't do anything as a police officer. 
And it's the same thing with us. And we'll talk a little bit more about authority. But it is actually the badge that is the most important weapon on this uniform. Because you can walk into a convenience store with a fight going on, carrying a gun, and nobody's going to pay attention to you. You walk in with a badge... Oh, yeah, they're going to pay attention to you really quick. I guarantee it. Because a lot of times all it takes is for an officer to show up in uniform and people hit the road, man. I mean, they're out of there. Why? Because they recognize the authority. They don't care about the gun. They recognize the authority. Authority is infinitely more important than power. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Now, there's other weapons that he has that are not so obvious. The gun, the taser, the badge, and all those are more obvious. There's others that are not as obvious, such as his hands. His hands are a weapon. One of the things we teach in the academy is what's called open hand control, soft open hand control or hard open hand control. So he knows how to use his hands to control an individual if he has to go hands on. But there's also another weapon he has that is very, very subtle and that you really don't think about, and that's his mind. This is one of the most important weapons you have because if you can use this to prevent having to use any of this, everything goes so much better. (laughs) Everything goes so much better. If you can get out of a problem with this, with never having to use any of this, man, that is true success right there. So I appreciate it, Chris. Give him a round of applause. So just like the police officer, every Christian has tools and has weapons, whether we call it armor or tools or whatever. Here's the thing. The weapons that were given are not, like with, with, with Chris or other police officers, they're not natural. They're spiritual. Amen. They're spiritual weapons, and we can't use them like natural weapons. And why are they spiritual? Well, here's the first thing we need to understand when it comes to spiritual warfare. It is just that. It is spiritual warfare, not natural warfare. If we don't understand the difference between the spiritual and the natural, we're going to have a hard time fighting. If we try and use the wrong tools, we can't enforce the right authority. So in understanding spiritual warfare, we have to first realize that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And here's one of the worst lies in the church community, in the body of Christ, in the Christian community. It's, it's the lie of believing that our lives are broken into spiritual and secular. <clears throat> that's, that's one of the worst lies out there because if you believe you have a secular life and a spiritual life, you've just now cut God off from whatever percentage your secular life is. Amen. You're saying, well, this is, this is something I have to deal with. God has the spiritual side But, you know, the secular side, he has nothing to do with, so there's no impact there. So you've literally cut God off from a percentage of your life. And a lot of times, it's the high percentage, not the low. Because most people, when they think of their spiritual life versus their secular life, it's like 20-30. 20-30 spiritual, 80-70 secular. So what we do is we literally, in our mind, cut cut God off from the major part of our life. And that's a huge problem. 
it causes us to compartmentalize our life. And this is why people will come to church on Sunday, get their hands in the air and praise Jesus. But on Monday, they'll go home and look at porn. They'll get drunk. They'll get high. They'll abuse their spouse. They'll cheat and steal in their careers. They'll sow discord, hatred, or plot a way for their own desires to be met regardless of the cost to others. And that's not even the top ten. That's why we have this problem in the church where there's no crossover. My Sunday life is one way. My Monday through Saturday is completely different because we compartmentalize them. We separate them. And unfortunately, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell that we have believed because there is no such thing as secular Here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is not about learning doctrine or theology. It's about God radically changing our lives. Every single area of our life. If you're a Christian, you can't say, I want Jesus to be my Lord only on Sunday or only on my Sunday life, or my Wednesday life, or what have you. Jesus is either Lord of your whole life, or is not your Lord. That's, there's no in-between. And folks, that just scared the daylights out of us. Because in Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And he'll look at them and say, I, I, I have no idea who you are. Who are you? So just because you praise Jesus on Sunday doesn't mean he's your Lord on Monday. Now, I, you know, I, I'm not here to get you to question your salvation. I'm here to get you to question your understanding of what salvation is. Amen. Salvation is an all-encompassing transforming aspect of our lives. It's not about changing our schedule on Sunday or Wednesday. It's not about changing our vocabulary so we use Christianese. It's about radically changing our life. It's not about being able to take a test in seminary either. All those things are good, but by themselves, separated and compartmentalized, they're deceptive. Because it can make you think you're a Christian, when in reality, you're not. Billy Graham said one of the greatest mission fields in the world is the church. Because we've gotten just enough of the real thing to keep us away from the real thing. It's like a flu shot. A flu shot has enough of the flu so you don't get it to keep you from getting it. And all too often, we get just enough of religion or whatever to keep us away from the real thing. And part of that is that, un- that, that deception of that spiritual versus secular that rips our lives apart. You cannot have a problem in your life and say, this is too big for God, and say, God, you're my Lord. Now, we don't say that in those words, but what we do in our actions is we say, well, you know, 
yeah, I understand you got to read your Bible. I, gotta, I understand you got to pray and all this other stuff. But, you, man, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how big this is. You don't understand what this problem is. Well, here's what I do understand, is that there's no problem that's bigger than God. And what you're saying is your problem is bigger than God. That's what you're saying. I love the way Blackaby puts it. He says, what you do reveals what you believe regardless of what you say. We're we're great at well said. We're terrible at well done. We're really good at well said. Man, we got cliches coming out the wazoo. But we have very, very few people who on Monday are walking it out. But part of that is because we have this false dichotomy of secular versus spiritual. We have to understand that everything is spiritual. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. And I'll, and I'll show you right off the bat, from the very beginning, that everything is spiritual. Right in Genesis chapter 1, it begins... Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning was God, okay? In the beginning was God. Now, there's a theological principle or term to describe creation. It's called ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. In other words, God created the world. He created the universe. He created the natural out of nothing, Ex nihilo, there was nothing there. He just, he called it into existence. Now, in the natural side, that is absolutely true. God called natural, physical, all this stuff out of nothing. But I think it kind of misses the point because that almost implies that there was nothing at all there, but that's not true because God was there. Before the natural was the spiritual. And the spiritual has always been there because God has always been there. God has no beginning and he has no end. So, yes, it's ex nihilo. It's out of nothing in the sense that there was no natural, but there was always a spiritual. So there is an origin here. It's God. So what you see in Genesis chapter 1 in creation is God creating heaven and earth. And then the light, the sky, some, some versions call it firmament, the land and the sea, vegetation, sun, grass tree, I mean, uh, grass trees, so on and so, so forth. Then the sun, the moon, and the stars, fish and birds. Animals, and then man. So there's your general, a general list of, of what God created. And it says in there that God spoke and it came into creation. Okay? So God spoke heaven, light, skies, land, vegetation, sun, moon, and stars, fish, animals, and man. Everything went from spiritual to natural. So there's your principle right there. 
everything is spiritual. There's no such thing as secular. There's no such thing as purely natural. So now, here we have a principle of Christianity, a principle of existence, a principle of the kingdom that everything is spiritual. And why is that important to understand? Because everything in the natural has a spiritual root. So if you have problems in the natural, so let's say you've got some bad fruit here, it has a spiritual root because the flow is this way, not the other way. So every natural problem has a spiritual root. Another way to put it is cause and effect. So every natural effect has a spiritual cause. So again, there's nothing that is secular. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean in regards to spiritual warfare and armor for the battle? Here's what it means. The kingdom of God is first spiritual before it's natural. Jesus said this in Luke 17, 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So if you're looking for the kingdom over here, you're missing it. It's here. It is a spiritual root that is in you that brings about natural fruit. So the, the key to understanding the kingdom is, number one, realizing everything is spiritual. So if you're going to have some sort of impact in the world for the kingdom, it's got to begin spiritually. It has to begin spiritually. So if you've got a problem in your life, whatever that is, it's got a spiritual root. It has a spiritual root. And we have to understand that in order to change this fruit, we have to change the root. So if I'm going to plant a tree in the backyard, I go down to Lowe's, and I, I say, look, man, I'm looking for an orange tree. And I go to Lowe's, and they got this huge tree. It has a tag on it that says orange tree. Great. Go take it home, dig up my backyard, plop this orange tree into the backyard, water it, fertilize it, water it, fertilize it, water it. All of a sudden, one day, out pops an apple. Go, whoa, whoa, hold on, man. So I go down to Lowe's. I said, hey, man, uh, my orange tree produced an apple. I said, oh, just take it off. It'll come back uh, as an orange. Don't worry about it. Okay. So water, fertilize, water, fertilize, water, fertilize, water, fertilize. Now i got two apples. Hey, man, come on. I want an orange tree. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you take the apples off, and I'll come over tomorrow, and I'll hang oranges on it. Now it's an orange tree, right? Or tell you what. I'll come over, and I'll just paint the apples orange, and everybody will think it's an orange tree, right? How do you get that orange tree in your backyard? you got to uproot the apple tree. 
you got to uproot the apple tree. Unfortunately, in the Christian world, we're acting like the guy at Lowe's. We're hanging oranges on our apple tree or we're painting our apples orange. So everybody around us thinks we're Christian or thinks we're spiritual. But if somebody goes over, grabs one of those suckers, and it's an, it's an apple painted as an orange, and they bite into it, they're going, whoa, <laughs> there's something wrong with that guy because it does not taste right. That's not an orange. And that's what happens when you start developing relationships with people is they, quote, unquote, get a chance to taste your fruit, and they go, whoa, <laughs> that is not an orange. And that's why people end up in isolation because they know I'm just painting my fruit. I've not allowed anybody to come in and uproot that tree and replace it with an orange tree. Obviously, that's a picture of salvation. But even beyond salvation, things that are going on in our lives, things that we don't like, I'm getting this constant fruit in my life. You know, for me, personally, I, I dealt with pornography for 25 years. Twelve and a half of it as a Christian. And man, I tried to change that fruit and whack all those apples off there all the time, and man, it didn't work. It didn't work. For a season, I could get the tree not to produce fruit and go, yeah, it's an orange tree, man. Just don't get close. And don't be around during, during harvest season. It wasn't until I allowed the Lord to uproot that from the spiritual side that the natural side changed. And here's why we're not seeing changes in our lives, because we're going after it from a natural perspective. I, I attacked my pornography from a natural perspective, not a spiritual one. And it didn't work did not work. So if you're dealing with stuff in your life, and it doesn't matter what it is, because the issue is not the issue. The issue is Jesus. It doesn't matter what the fruit is. What matters is Jesus. You know, we get so caught up in what fruit is being produced on people's trees. Oh, man, look at this guy's fruit. Whoa, man. I thought my fruit was bad. This, whoa, dude. It's like lining up all these trees that are not orange trees, and we condemn the person who owns the tree because it's not an orange. It's just be, man, this is a lemon tree. Man. Whoa, you don't want lemons. You know, just apples and, okay, you, you know, having pomegranates and all that. Don't worry about it. Lemons, man, you don't want lemons. And we condemn the, the fruit rather than focusing on the root that needs to be changed. And we get so caught up in pointing out different fruits, and then we elevate one fruit up and lower another and try and compare. Who cares? Just focus on Jesus. Because only Jesus can change the fruit. I don't have the ability to uproot my own tree. I can't do it. Trust me, I tried. For 12 and a half years, I tried and could not uproot that stupid tree, man. Just couldn't do it. I needed somebody to come in who could do something on the spiritual side that I couldn't do for myself. And he came in, and man, he pulled that sucker up, roots and all. And he planted something else in there. 
something he intended to be there in the beginning, from the start. See, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has fruit that he wants you to bear. He says, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. And it's not general fruit, it's specific fruit that he wants you to bear. But if you've got an apple tree or a lemon tree or whatever kind of tree in the hole where he wants to plant the other tree, he's got to wait for you to say, hey, man, come on, uh, can you get this out for me? Because I've been pulling for years, and man, it ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. So everything is spiritual, and we have to understand this. If we're ever going to make a dent spiritually, if we're ever going to make a dent in this world, because we cannot fight in the natural. We can't. If we fight in the natural, which is what we've been doing for decades, hmm, we get right where we are. Look where we are in this country. The church is the only entity that has the power to change this country spiritually. And we're fighting in the natural. And we're going right down the tubes, baby. Right down the tubes. Because we're looking at the wrong side of the equation. We've got to get back to the spiritual root. So let's take a look at the armor. From this perspective, from the spiritual side of things. Now, I know a lot of you have gone through a study on, on the armor. Now, what I'm going to do over the next few weeks is this is not going to be an academic theological view of the armor. We'll touch a little bit on theology, so on and so forth. But what I'm going to do over the next few weeks is we're not going to isolate each individual piece of armor. We're going to look at the whole armor together in regards to very practical ways in using it in your life. Because I think a lot of times when we teach on the armor, we teach the theological aspect, but we leave everybody hanging. It's like, man, that's great theology, but man, I've got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> it's not going to do me any good. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with theology. Man, theology is great. It's fantastic. But I think right now, especially in this season that we're in at Turning Point Church, we need to know how to practically pick up that armor and use it every day. And that's what we're going to look at over these next few weeks. So let's look at the armor. The armor is the, is the weapons we've been given to fight on this side of the equation. They don't work on this side because this is where, where the root is. The weapons are designed to go after the root and the cause. And as I said, we've been given authority, and we'll talk about authority and what that means. And it's really important to understand the authority aspect because without authority, we can't do anything. Amen. Just like with, with, with Chris, when he was up here, if I take that badge off and, and the, the police chief says, you're no longer a police officer, I take away your authority, man, he can't do any of the things that an officer can do because he doesn't have that authority. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, real quick. And this again, this is just another aspect of the fact that everything is spiritual. 2 Corinthians 10, and this is another popular 
verse or section of the Bible when it comes to spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I'm sure you've all heard this before. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, causing... uh, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But unfortunately, most Christians only walk in the flesh, and they also war according to the flesh, or according to the natural, or according to the carnal. There's another great principle in, in the Bible, kingdom principle, in Joshua chapter 6, it's the Battle of Jericho. In the Battle of Jericho, God comes to Joshua. They've just crossed the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go take Jericho, the very first battle in the Promised Land. I mean, this is, the, this is what will set the precedent for the entire battle to take the Promised Land. This is the first one. So what God tells them to do and how they do it is the pattern, if you will, through which they will take the entire Promised Land. So this is a pretty important battle. So God comes to Joshua in chapter 6 and says, number one, I've given Jericho into your hands. They haven't even approached Jericho yet. And God comes to Joshua and says, hey, man, I've given you victory. And here's a principle we see in the kingdom of God. Victory comes before the battle, not after. Victory comes before the battle. So if you ever find yourself, and we as a church are finding ourselves in a battle right now, victory has already occurred. God will never lead us into a battle that he has not first given us victory over. He will never do that. It is a principle of the kingdom of God that victory occurs before the battle. So what's the point of the battle? The point of the battle is not to earn the victory. It's to enforce the victory we've already been given. That's what the battle's for. Because when God came to Joshua and said, Hey, I've already given Jericho into your hands. And again, this goes back to the fact that God is bigger than any problem. So once God comes to Joshua and says, Hey, I've already given it to you, it's done. Nobody can take it out of God's hands. Nobody's greater than God. It didn't matter how big the army was in Jericho because God is bigger. So once God says, I've given Jericho into your hands, whoa, man, you talk about confidence. It didn't matter what the battle plan was from there because you knew it was going to win. But then what does God tell them to do? He doesn't tell them to go in there with their pitchforks and their their torches and go beating down on the wall. No, what does he do? He tells them to go in there and praise. He tells them to go march around the city seven times for seven days. Why? Why does he do this? Why does he go in there? Why does he send the troops behind the singers, behind the priests? Why? Because God knows that the problem is not here It's here that the stronghold of Jericho, the root of that stronghold is in the spirit, not in the natural. So God sends them in there and they begin spiritual warfare. For seven days, they march around that city seven times. And then on the seventh day, they give this huge shout. And what happens? 
the wall falls down. Who knocked the wall down? God did. Because what was knocked down in the spirit naturally occurred in the natural. The cause led to an effect. What was the cause? The breaking down of the spiritual stronghold manifested into the natural breaking down of the walls of Jericho. And then once the walls fall down, what do they do? They go in and they actually fight. They have to still fight. But who cares? <laughs> I mean, God's already knocked down this wall. He's told you, you have victory. So they go in and Maine, they rout the whole city. They don't lose one person. Amen. Not one. It's that easy. God did all the work because God always does all the work. He doesn't call us to do the work. He calls us to trust him. He didn't tell Joshua, hey, man, go take Jericho. Let me know how it works and come back and tell me how it went. No. He did it. And they broke down the spiritual root that destroyed the natural fruit. That is a principle of the kingdom when it comes to dealing with issues in our lives. Because all of us have Jerichos one, one, to one degree or another. Uh, we see Paul talk about them here as strongholds because that's what Jericho was, was a stronghold. What's a stronghold? Anything that holds you strong, as pastor would say. Whatever that is. You want to break down that stronghold? You got to break down the root of that stronghold, which is in the spirit, first. So let's look, at the, let's look at the armor from this spiritual aspect. Now, there are six pieces of armor. Number one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth, what truth is this representative? Well, of course, it's the truth of God. It's the truth of the Word of God. But for our purposes over these next few weeks, the truth that I'm referring to and the truth that I want to bring forward is our identity in Christ. That's the thing that girds us up. That's the thing that holds everything else together. If we don't know who we are in him, there's nothing we can do in the spirit. There's absolutely nothing we can do in the spirit. Because who we are is grounded in that authority. The authority of Jesus. It's our identity, who we are in Christ. It's not who other people have told us we are. It's not who we even think we are ourselves. It's who God says we are. But here's the thing. We've got to believe it. In the book of James, chapter 1, James says, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Then he goes into this illustration of a man in a mirror. He says, A hearer is like a man who goes to a mirror, looks at himself, walks away, and forgets what he looks like. Now, I used to think, because, of course, obviously the word is the mirror. That's, That's what he's talking about. You look into the law of liberty, he goes on to say, which is the word of God. Now, I used to think that that meant I would go to the Bible, I'd open it up, and I would look at it, and it would show me all my flaws. Because, you know, you get up in the morning, and you look in the mirror and go, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I definitely want to forget about that. But that's not what I believe it means. 
Because the Lord changed my mind on that. Metanoia, repentance, as, as uh, Evangelist Scott Camp told us. He changed my mind on this. Here's what I think it means. It means I go to the Word of God and it shows me who I've become in Jesus. And when I walk away, don't forget it. Because if I walk away from the Word and I forget who I've become in Jesus, now I'm basing my identity on who I think I am or who other people have told me to be or what other experiences have told me I am. And I'm never going to be able to fight with that. I will never fight with that because my identity grounded in anything other than Jesus is worthless. It's worthless. And the enemy constantly plays on that harp string about who we used to be or who others have told us we are. And if we're not grounded in the identity, that belt of truth, man, we're, we're done. It's over right there. It is over right there. It's like the Israelites standing on the edge of the battlefield when Goliath was out there taunting them. He didn't need to throw a sword. He didn't need to fight. All he had to do was say, man, you guys are a bunch of losers. Yeah, you know, you're right. We are. And we're done. Battle's over. And that's what the enemy does. He comes to him and goes, hey, man, you're a loser. Man, you know, you're, you're right. I think I'm not going to go to church today. I'm just going to sit home and watch TV. Because I believe the lie. So the belt of truth is our gospel identity. It girds us. It holds everything together. So that's number one. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Not only do we need to understand who we are in Jesus, we need to understand that our righteousness is a gift. That's what the gospel is all about. He gives us our righteousness. It's not based on what we've done or can do. My standing, my worth before God is a gift that has been given to me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If you are in Christ, you are righteous. Period. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you did it five minutes ago. Get before the Lord. Confess. And he will will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is a gift. And we have to quit looking at our righteousness based on the law. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks how destructive the law is and how all of us serve the law to one degree or another. I don't have time to go into it right now. But if my righteousness is not based in the gift of the gospel, then I'm serving law. Because now my righteousness is based on my ability to be good. And I can't be good. There's nothing I can do to be good. My goodness, my righteousness is a gift from him. So that's the breastplate I put on is the gift from him. And I stand with that worth from him. So the belt of truth, my identity, the breastplate of righteousness, that gift from the gospel. Number three, shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes, you know, and again, Paul uses the the illustration of a Roman soldier 
the shoes or the sandals that they wore, they had spikes. You know, if you've ever been a golfer, you know, you had these spikes or, or a baseball player or whatever. You have, you've got these cleats. And the purpose of the cleats is to give you a firm footing so when you have to do what you do, whether it's swing or maybe you're fighting against the, the linebacker or whatever, you've got that firm footing. But here's the thing about the gospel. Again, the gospel gives us that firm foundation. And all too often, as Christians, we fight from a weak foundation rather than a firm one. We have to somehow justify ourselves before others. We have to prove that, okay, you can listen to me. Or we have to defend ourselves before I can make any headway in this, this thing. I'm All of a sudden, I'm fighting from this soft foundation. I keep getting pushed back, and I'm trying to fight, and I forget I've already, I'm already on my firm foundation. Because if I am not on a firm foundation, then when I share my faith, it's going to be from a point of weakness rather than strength. And that's where 99% of Christians are when they share their faith. It's from a position of weakness rather than a position of strength. I used this illustration last night with, with the, the guys, point men, <clears throat> or sorry, Monday night. Uh, when you share your faith, you have all these things that run through your mind that, you know, man, I... Who am I to share? This person doesn't want to hear this. They're not gonna. They're gonna think I'm an idiot. And all these things go through your mind. Anybody seen the movie War Room? Anybody told somebody else about War Room? Did any of those thoughts go through your mind when you told them about War Room? No. You, you didn't think, wow, well, they're not gonna like War Room. They're gonna think, well, why am I gonna share this? This is so stupid. I mean, have you seen? You know, you try and shoehorn it in there. You don't do that with, with War Room. Why? Because you had a great experience in the movie and you're sharing your experience. And it's from a firm footing. Here's the problem with our shoes of peace. We've not put on the gospel sandals. We put on our own understanding rather than the fact that we have been transformed by Jesus and we have this awesome experience and we go, oh man, man, I've been where, you know, I know, Dude, lemons, yeah, I know. I had lemons for all these years, man. Let me tell you how you can get a, a real orange tree. Amen. How, how do you get a real orange Let me show you how you do that. Yeah. But we don't do that because we've still got apples on our tree or whatever. We're not doing it from a firm foundation. So the shoes of peace are our firm foundation. The shield of faith, that's the authority. It's the authority of the gospel of Jesus. Before the great commission, Jesus had the great announcement, all authority has been given to me. And I don't have time to go into authority tonight. We will go into it in the next couple weeks. But authority is the key to the kingdom. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit, which of course is the Word of God. Here's the thing about the Word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, it says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword divided between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's the thing about the Word of God. It is a double-edged sword, but it has to cut you first before you can wield it to cut somebody else. If the Word of God has not cut you first, you cannot use it to cut through in spiritual warfare because that's what it does. It does surgery on your own heart. That's why it's double-edged. And you grab hold of that Word, you're going to get cut. 
But that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And we'll, we will specifically go into the Word of God next week and, and how the Word of God cuts into our lives so we have that transformed life. And then finally, all of this, there's your armor, there's your six pieces right there. It's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, and sword of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, don't do anything until you receive power. Because he knew it's a spiritual battle. I can't fight with natural power in a spiritual world. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian today, you have spiritual power. You have spiritual power. Don't let somebody deceive you into thinking you don't have spiritual power. I know there's this battle that goes on between the conservatives and the charismatics about the power of God. We must not reduce the power of the Holy Spirit to an emotional experience. God is not withholding, and he's not holding out on you. You have everything you need to experience victory in spiritual warfare, not because of some experience you have or not had, but because of the experience Jesus had on the cross and in the tomb. Are there emotional experiences? Sure there are. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus. That's what it's all about. And Jesus is not holding out on us. Because if, again, we go back to the identity, if I think, well, I didn't have this experience, or they had this experience, or I had this experience, but they didn't have this. Now we're basing it on, well, that means I'm just not worthy. Because God doesn't love me enough to give me what I need. Lie. Absolute lie from the pit of hell. And don't believe it. Do not believe it. God is not holding out on you. Because we have everything we need to have victory in the kingdom. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the empty tomb is all about. That's the power that's already in us. We don't need anything else. Anything else is just icing on the cake. The cake itself is what's important. Would you stand with me? So when you leave tonight and you walk out there, you're, you're, you know, your life's waiting for you. All those demons that walk around with you and whisper to you, man, they're out there at those doors waiting for you to come. I go, hey, man, that was awesome. What a great service. By the way, remember, you're a loser. Remember that problem you got? Yeah, it's still there waiting for you. Come on, let's go back and we'll do whatever we were going to do in the first place. Everything's spiritual, man. Everything is spiritual. And you have everything you need right now when you walk out that door to defeat every single enemy that comes against you. It's not a matter of getting something else. It's a matter of using that which is already in you if you're in Jesus. Now, if you're not in Jesus, okay, now we've got a conversation. But that's easy. That's easy. Because maybe tonight you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm one of those people because my, you know, my Mondays are nowhere near my Sundays. And I've been coming to church for decades. But you know what? My life hasn't been transformed. Maybe this Jesus I've been told about isn't the one I know. You can fix that tonight. And you can have everything you need.
to walk out that door in victory. Is it going to be easy? No. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be victorious. That's a guarantee. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody just to close your eyes. I want to give the Holy Spirit a minute just to speak to you as we close. And maybe tonight you realize for the very first time there's a Jesus that you don't know, that you want to know. You want that power. You want to experience that whole life transformation. If that's you tonight, tonight is your opportunity. As soon as we close, I'm going to be standing here right at the front, and I want you to come up and tell me. And I'm going to share with you how you can experience that transforming power. And for everybody else in here right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to thank Jesus for the power he's put in you. Just spend a minute thanking Jesus for that spiritual power you have to overcome to overcome all those battles. And if you got some bad fruit hanging on that tree, tonight just say, Jesus, will you uproot my tree? Will you uproot that tree? Because I can't do it. I I surrender tonight to your power to transform my life. And Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, it's not just salvation from hell. It's salvation from all that hell wants to do in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a hand. It will be here in a second. Wait for it. Oh, wait. No, maybe it's not. Sorry. My bad. (laughs) Poor Hannah. Yeah. There we go. Wait for it. I have some helpers coming in through the door. Oh, hold on. Here we go. Thank you. Got some helpers coming through the door. Just prove one. And uh, you you found when you came in a little certificate on your seat saying we need candy. Uh, for the last few years, we've been holding a harvest party, harvest festival. Uh, last year, more than 3,000 people came on our property and enjoyed a night of fun and adventure and all kinds of good stuff. And every year, we try to get candy. Come on up here, guys. Come all the way across the front. Um, we figure last year that uh, we had 12 of these buckets filled with candy. Right now, we don't have one of them filled. And we have two weeks. These are all the buckets that we need. And they're empty. And we need your help. We have less than one full bucket. There's 11 buckets here. 22 kids. There will be 3,000 children plus adults on our property in two weeks. And we need your help. If we were to spend money for advertisement to get 3,000 people to come to our church, it would cost us thousands upon thousands of dollars. 
But this gets them on the property, and if we get them in the property, we can get them in the building. We get their hearts right with God. So here's what we need you to do. Coming, come this, week, this weekend, visit Walmart, wherever you want to go, but bring some candy with you. Individually wrapped. It can be chocolate. It's cold enough, or it will be. And, and just bring it and put it in the, the receptacles. There's one here in the, in the north lobby, one in the south lobby. Overflow those things every day for the next two weeks, and we might have enough. Okay? There's a lot of children out there who will be on the streets knocking on doors if we don't do this. We want our kids to be safe. I want your kids to be safe. So we provide this as an alternative as well. So please, bring your candy as quickly as you can. If you have to come through the daytime, that'd be great too. We'll take it. All right? All right, guys. Say, please bring candy. (laughs) Amen. Amen. All right, if God can multiply the two loaves and seven fish, man, just don't bring any fish. Unless they're Swedish fish, then you can put them in there. <laughs> so, but if Harvest Fest, man, it's going to be awesome. I hope you can be here and bring some candy. All right, here we're going we're gonna to go out. We're going to yell and shout, thank you, Jesus. Y'all have a great week. Pastor's back this Sunday. Don't miss out on Sunday morning. And if, again, as I said, if you, uh, if you need to come to know the real Jesus, come and talk to me tonight. Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. God bless y'all.